This episode of the Beyond the Physics podcast is brought to you by you. So if you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review and consider subscribing at patreon.com forward slash beyond the physics. Also, quick announcement, Beyond the Physics has set up a YouTube channel. If you'd like to follow us, a link will be provided in the show notes. This is Beyond the Physics. Alright, hi everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Physics. This is Joseph Guzman and I'm joined with Irene Roman. And today we got an update for Beyond the Physics. It's been about a year since we updated last. Uh, spring 2022. It's when we last recorded something. Uh, can you believe it's been that long? No. A Too lot. much has happened yeah. in the last year. Yeah, a lot has happened. Overall, I'd say mostly traumatic things. <laughs> but um, that's a way to lead into it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so uh, um, anyways, uh, yeah, so we're just here to catch you up on what's been going on in our lives. Um, cue in on some of this traumatic shit. Maybe they'll give you some insight as to why we haven't recorded in you know over a year but so yeah where do you want to well i guess before we talk about that just quickly i want to check in with you like how are you feeling like how are you doing today me how am i feeling today um i'm feeling good overall i guess you know since i feel like i'm always behind but that's nothing new in terms of work i feel like um a little bit anxious about it and then plus because i have this trip coming up which we're going to talk about in a little bit anyway but um just a little spoiler i'm going on a, a summer school trip in two weeks or so so i'm a little bit nervous in terms of preparation for the school um but uh i think overall i'm feeling good what about you um hmm yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit interesting. Like, I had a crazy dream last night. And if you know me, I typically don't remember my dreams. It's like maybe like 1% to 5% of the time I can remember what I dreamt. So it's pretty atypical and it was kind of intense. Um, so it put me in a bit of a weird mood this morning. But then, you know, I went to therapy and then I uh, worked out and stuff. So now I'm feeling like energized and feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, um yeah. So But so anyways, uh thanks for sharing that. Uh I'll take a moment to let you the audience member share how you're doing. Okay, that's a rhetorical question, so let's move on. Um uh oh shoot. Okay, sorry. Technical difficulties in the background. Ugh. Okay. Um, so, anyways, 
let's pick up from where we last did our update or how do you want to do this yeah i mean i guess uh last year i since it's been so long since we recorded a podcast i don't even know if i remember what the last thing that happened was but um since most likely it was in spring 2022 i think at that point i hadn't yet defended my prospectus so um if you since probably different programs have different requirements our phd program you have to pass two basically two exams one is the written qualification preliminary exam which is essentially just the major topics in physics we have to pass a a written exam and then the second is this thing that we call a prospectus where we essentially just propose uh, our phd project um and we have a committee that we choose of faculty members and then they basically give us the okay or not if we pass we just now we're officially going to be doctoral candidates Mm -hmm. so you're not officially doctoral candidate until you pass those two things um so i think at that point i hadn't passed it yet um and i was probably really busy last spring putting together my document a written document and then preparing the presentation and that was pretty stressful i hate giving presentations and i'm like get pretty anxious and i'm probably a little bit socially anxious in general so i guess for me it was like pretty hard kind of working through all of that um I managed to do the presentation and I actually think it went pretty well and um, it's weird because I'm so anxious that then when I get into there it's like I turn I click into another person I feel like it's like the presentation Irene comes out and she takes over and she does this presentation and like I say all these things that I don't even know how I know them sometimes Um, but I guess I am like picking up information Um, and even though I'm not very confident in my like knowledge the knowledge comes out somehow and then so you know i i did well on it and then i passed it and um so now i'm officially a doctoral candidate congratulations thank you Mm -hmm. um even though it was a year ago right so i've been for a year but since you guys haven't heard updates now you know um so i was really happy about that and i was proud for that to happen um and then after that, essentially, I got accepted into uh, the SeaTech Summer School, which is in Pittsburgh. And that was in July, uh, the beginning of July for about like 10 days. So this is 2022 again, this is last year. Um, and that would be like the first time that I was going to be away from like where I'm here now that I've been for a few years. And I was nervous about it and being in you know in a new town and stuff and i'd be away from home um so then i had a few of my other like group mates were going as well so at least i had like support from them um but i'd say that i don't know i guess it was hard for me emotionally to be away from home and like with you know my dog sage She's always like a comfort for me and I guess like I am a little bit socially anxious so it was a little bit, it was I guess testing me in a lot of different levels I guess uh, being in in that environment Um, and I think being in the physics environment in general is a little bit triggering for me because sometimes like I don't have that much confidence in my abilities so then when I was in the summer school with like all of these people that um, I felt had a lot more knowledge in me 
and then it was like everyone uh they just i don't know some of them just were like naturally like really conversational about the material and asking questions and then my group mates were like answering a lot and they look like star pupils and stuff and i i guess i didn't process the information as quickly um and also like the anxiety of the whole environment is really makes it hard for me to really even process information so i'm kind of like in a mental block in a way because of like how overwhelmed i am um so the experience was a little bit hard and i feel like i probably had like some panic attacks a few times from like just being so overwhelmed with all of the stimuli and information and anxiety that i have being in like the physics environment um so it made me realize that i want to figure out how i can find a way to be more comfortable in the environment and feel more confident in myself and be okay like okay even if i perceive myself as not very knowledgeable to just tell us to be okay with that even if regardless if that's true or not true just like being okay with knowing like it's okay that um you know it's okay if i don't really know the material or it's okay if it takes me a little bit more time to like understand or put the pieces together because i have to work through all of these other things um you know being kind in myself in the situations where like i am feeling overwhelmed and being able to take the space that i need and feeling like like i'm deserved that space um so i mean those are all things that you know the experience was was good i think i had a good time and i got to like you know connect with other people and learn about you know some some other material that i didn't know there was some interesting lectures and lecturers that came um and but you know it also brought up these other issues that i realized that i do want to work on in general yeah um i'm wondering uh if you share more around that basically the things i'm wondering at the moment are like what it was like for you to go through those panic attacks like what it felt like how would you describe it and or how you processed those events like how did you eventually come out of the panic attack um if there's anything that you think might be helpful for other people to identify even in myself now i'm I'm curious given some things that i've experienced in the past few months um learning more about that could be helpful to me and then if you think that is just kind of a fugue state and it just got you came out of it when you came out of it then um I guess maybe what you're planning on doing to maybe make it a little bit of a smoother ride in the future or if there's any, anything that you're planning on doing. Well, um, in terms of it, like you said, this fugue state, it's a little bit, I'd say like it's like a half fugue state where it's like I don't feel like I'm in the normal reality, if that makes sense of how to explain that. I don't know. Um, it just, it feels like a way that it feels in a way sometimes that i've pushed like up against the boundary of like reality and something more outside of that and i don't know why is how i explain it Mm -hmm. um but it gets a little bit confusing because it's like it happens because i get so overwhelmed with like 
everything that's going on like i take too much stimuli in and then like on my internal processes too like all these emotions are just kind of exploding and then so it gets to a point where like they're colliding and you're kind of confused even yourself as to like what you're feeling but you know that you're in this kind of panic state um and i used to get this a lot um in high school was like so many times like at least one i probably once a day i'd be having like some kind of a like panic attack or this type of state um and then you know i in college i had this too like kind of rolling over and then you know it would be less frequent and then i started working with like some therapists and stuff and i worked through a lot of issues and i started taking some antidepressive medications and stuff and all of that stuff helps and you know, being diagnosed with ADHD and then realizing that like some, a big part of the the overwhelm that I get is also just from so much uh, stimuli that I get that like my mind is not very good at like filtering it out. So it's like just I'm bombarded with all this information and it gets overwhelming. So it's like a bunch of this stuff together. Um, so like being treated for that has helped a lot, mm-hmm. right? And being more like aware of how this works, how myself, how those things interact within myself and that's just like individual too like every person that has adhd is not going to have that same experience so it's something sure. that you need to like kind of i think you need a professional to kind of work with to figure those details out mm-hmm. um but in the moment being like that i just in a way i had to let it kind of ride through but also typically like here i have we have sage i have sage um my puppy girl Mm -hmm. so she helps like if i get into a state like that she helps me back back into present like she'll like lick my face and it'll like bring me back if i don't have i guess something that in general will help is to find a way to bring myself back into presence Mm -hmm. so for example when i was there and i near the end i started realizing i was having this issue again um so i would when i started to feel really overwhelmed i just i would ditch some of the classes if i couldn't take it and i feel like that's okay i need to do this and then they had a park around there and i would just like go walking in the trails and it's just like i would just do something physical to Mm. get me like more present in the moment and then gets me tired too physically tired so i would just walk for a really long time and that's i mean that's always been one of my coping mechanisms is nature and like Mm. just engaging in nature and it'll help me a lot just like doing something like that like i i even like picked up some sticks and started whittling some sticks and that just doing that kind of repetitive motion being in nature and then in a way i was like oh let's see if i can craft a shape or something and then thinking of doing something artistic all of that stuff kind of helps as an outlet Mm -hmm. um or distraction outlet being present so i could kind of get myself away from those feelings um but it's not like you know it was it it still happened right so mm-hmm. it's kind of like there's no way to really foolproof way of like avoiding that it's like if that's something you are predisposed to that's something that unfortunately you're gonna have to like work through mm-hmm. your life and in, in general um and uh i don't know i mean i think that part of the experience was hard but there are things that I was proud of myself for, like seeing that I could get myself out of that state mm-hmm. way more quickly than I could in the past, right? But um, it also also made me realize that, yeah, I still 
I'm susceptible to that, right? So it's like I'm in a whole new environment and I didn't have that issue when I'm back here at home, but then like going back to the new environment, I realized that, yeah, you know, the instability there can really cause a lot of issues, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, finding presence in nature is at least something actionable and being present in your body is something that I think is general advice but you know obviously having a professional um is probably the the better thing to do in general um but yeah thanks for sharing that um so maybe i should talk about what it was like here with sage um because while you were in summer school at c-tech um I was here and I was taking care of Sage. Uh, and so, you know, we walk in this park that's across the street and I would take her every day and we'd walk for like an hour and then we'd come back home. Um, but one day when I was walking her, um, we do let her off leash in general sometimes, like in very specific areas. Cause the park we go to is like, um, it's kind of like a reserve, I guess you could say, like a nature reserve. And there's often not many people there, and we only do it in like very specific locations. And she is pretty good recall. She's like pretty um, good in general about coming back. Um, but anyway, so there's one point when we go into the park. It was only like not far into the entrance. We only walked like two minutes or something and I let her off leash for this you know um this small portion and she goes somewhere where I can't see her and then she comes back and she's acting all weird and she's like uh she starts rolling in the grass and it looks like she's uncomfortable or in pain or something I thought she might have like run into an anthill or something in the past she's like encountered ants and had similar behavior but anyways she was acting really weird and i'm like what's going on she didn't yelp or anything so then i call you while you're in pittsburgh and i'm like what should i do and um basically i just decided you know like okay she's acting weird let's play it safe let's go home so i start walking her home and she's like kind of struggling to get home like that was her shaking in the background. Um, so there's a happy end to the story. But anyway, she's like limping along and then we get home and then I'm like, okay, what should I do? Yeah, we're talking about you. Um, so I call the vet. <laughs> I call the vet and then I take her to the vet like immediately, like right when we get home and I, I put her in the car and then I drive to the vet and on the way to the vet, her, her face is swelling up like a balloon, like within the span of 30 minutes like her face had like just blown up and so i drop her off at the vet and they treat her with anti-venom um it was a suspected snake bite you know i believe there was a snake bite and they confirmed that 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 was their suspicion as well so she got anti-venom that night and she stayed overnight and 
it seemed like she recovered pretty well from that. It took like maybe two days of her being at, in the observation, but pretty much right away she came back and she still had some inflammation that hung around for like a week. I don't know if you remember some of the pictures I sent you, but she she had like a big old goozle. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember the pictures. Yeah, so she still had some inflammation um, for a while. And I think when you came, first came back, she still had some. A little bit of a goozle, yeah. Yeah, around her neck is like still kind of inflamed. It looked like a chubby neck. Um, yeah. That happened just a few days before I was coming back when she got bit. Yeah, so it was pretty stressful. Um, and little did we know that that was only the beginning of the journey. Because uh, a couple weeks after that, she started presenting uh, with lameness in her leg. And uh, there's so many details of the story that like we experienced and I attempted to go through all of them, but I guess they're not necessarily relevant. But yeah, she was presenting with lameness in the leg. And so we took her to a vet and they did an x-ray and they're like, oh, it's probably nothing. They gave us some basically aspirin or Motrin or whatever, you know. Um, but then the next day she still wasn't doing well. I think she vomited or something that And night. she wouldn't eat. And that's so... That's something she would never do that because she loves food so much and she eats everything you could give her. Yeah, she's super food motivated. Like, that's the one thing she loves. And, like, I even cooked her steak and all the food she loves and she wouldn't eat any of it. So I knew there was something majorly wrong with her. Yeah. So then we took her back. We took her to a different vet because we weren't very happy with the treatment at the other vet that did the x-ray and said that, oh, she's probably fine. We wanted a second opinion and... Yeah, they said that she's in rough shape and her kidney levels were pretty bad. She was going into kidney failure. And they kept her for a few days. I forget how long. They kept yeah. her for a while, but she kept getting worse and worse and worse. And they're like, we don't think she's going to survive here. Um, and so she needs like some specialized care if she's going to make it so we spent all this time researching and you brought up like oh what about dialysis like you did some research and then that clicked in the vet's mind like oh yeah she could be a good candidate for dialysis and actually there's this um university that's a few hours away that does provide dialysis for pets which is very rare um because well anyways there's technical reasons behind that but because uh they don't do dialysis treatment as like a permanent solution for pets, right? Whereas they might do that for a human. Um, you know, it has to be like an acute, like something acute happened and that there's a possibility that they can recover in the short term, you know? Yeah. Because it's very expensive and, you know, they don't want to keep a pet on there indefinitely. So Sage fit a lot of the categories. She was in severe kidney failure. Ugh. Just thinking that does tie into like later on to other things that happened in the yeah. year of like putting into context how severe her kidney failure was. Um, what was the ratio? It was like uh, it was like a, it was like 9.99 or something. It was like a, I think like kidney failure started starts at like 2.0. I don't know what the units are to be was honest. Was it like cr the, creatinine levels? Yeah, yeah. is it protein, creatinine, or something, some ratio in the kidney? But like I think. 
yeah her level was at like nine point something it was like yeah. the highest level like severe severe kidney failure level yeah at some point it yeah. just kept going up and up and up yeah so anyways once we brought up the dialysis they're like okay you know this university hours away does do dialysis but they don't typically take in just dogs off the, you know they don't take appointments or whatever and so they said like oh we'll put in a you know we'll try and advocate for you and get you set up with them um and you know once they presented sage's case to the doctors they're like okay yeah she does seem like a good candidate for dialysis so you can bring her here so they made an exception for sage and then so we decided at that moment like okay it dialysis you know could cost they they let us know that dialysis if they were going to do that treatment starts at ten thousand dollars yeah right because she's going to be on it for weeks mm-hmm. right and then they're constantly observing her that whole time so it starts at ten thousand dollars and i was like okay well i'm going to do whatever it takes to save our dog so i'm gonna go take her and you know um so we were aligned in that and so we took her and it like i said it was a couple hours away and so it was pretty inconvenient there was a lot of traveling um back and forth um yeah on the way there i was really scared because she could barely keep her eyes open and she's like falling over and stuff and she looked really terrible um and so it was really touch and go there the other thing going on in the background for me school-wise is i'm preparing for to take my qualification exam right is uh you know like irene mentioned she passed the the written part of the exam a long time ago um but for one reason or the other i kept getting extensions when she passed i had food poisoning and i didn't take the test and salmonella yeah salmonella <laughs> salmonella and uh anyways one reason or other it kept getting delayed and so i was gonna first take it in august and i forget when this was happening with sage in july or whatever yeah june july it, the aug and then into august with the when she had the kidney problems yeah so anyways like i'm i've been trying to work really hard like while i'm taking care of sage by myself trying to prepare for this exam and stuff and then this thing happens with sage and i'm like okay like i really wanted to study a lot more than i had at this point but i'm like right now sage is my priority if i you know fail this test or whatever and you know, I managed to, you know, keep it together for my dog. And, you know, she comes home at the end of the day and they kick me out, like whatever. Like I was willing to accept that at that point. So I was just like, okay, whatever. Uh, I'm fully committed to trying to save our dog. <laughs> and so anyways, for weeks, we're like going back and forth to this, you know, pet hospital, um, and they she ended up not needing dialysis they you know observed her and they considered her for it but um they found that once they took her off fluids and stuff she started like urinating again and like um she kind of got better herself with just like some supportive care without dialysis 
So that was pretty fortunate, but she was still there for weeks and it was still very expensive. Um, but we're very fortunate to have, you know, family that was willing to support us in that and like, you know, chip in. Um, so anyways, uh, now the long story short of it is that, uh, Sage made it out of there and she had a lot of medications too when she came out like she was on some chemo drugs she was on like an immunosuppressant she was on a special kidney diet uh she was taking like you know five six pills or something like a, a day and the special kidney diet and it was like we don't know if she'll ever go back to quote-unquote normal mm-hmm. you know and so that was pretty scary and so I think it was every two weeks or every four weeks, we had to check, take her into two. our, every two weeks, we had to take her into our local vet and they would continually check her like kidney levels and everything and slowly wean her off the medication to make sure that she could support herself. And so the, all those vet visits were really expensive too. Um, but... I'm happy to report that she's not on a kidney diet. She came off of all of the medications and she's living a totally normal life. Back now. to normal life. Yeah. She, I, she made a 100% recovery. Yeah. On her own. Right. And it was like, she was really on the brink of death for like a while and it was pretty scary. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm so happy that it ended, it ended up where it was. That was a really stressful moment because we were presented with like a lot of decisions of like, okay, do we take her to the, like, it started with just like lameness in the leg. And then it's like, if we didn't take it seriously, you know, then what would have happened? Then when we take her to the other vet and they're like, we don't know if she's going to make it. You can keep her here. Or we don't know what you want to do, but whatever we're doing is not working. And then had to do the research to find some other hospital and like you bring up dialysis and so on and so forth. And like, there were so many obstacles and I felt like we really as a team navigated that very well. And the result is that we, you know, our dog is alive and here with us. And she made a hundred percent recovery. So, I mean, it's the best possible outcome that we get a hope for. Yeah. And so if you're religious, you might be tempted to conclude yeah, that that was a miracle, you know, and I wouldn't be opposed to that type of, you know, framing of it. It was, yeah. pre- it was pretty miraculous. Yeah, it was miraculous. So, she's a special dog. She brings me a lot of joy, and I'm glad that she's, you know, okay and, and here with us. But that, anyway, so that summer was super stressful because of that event that happened with Sage. And, oh, um, sorry, we've been talking about this for a while, I'm sure. But um, the reason why it happened in the first place, the hypothesis by the doctor that was treating her at this um, hospital that does dialysis was, uh, what do they call it again? I forget. Uh, serum sickness? Right. Yeah. They thought it was serum sickness, right? Like an effect. It's like her immune system. Or I guess because sometimes the snake venom has like really large horse proteins, right? Because that's how they, they extract the antibodies from horses um and then i guess some i mean this happens a lot in humans that they have like an adverse reaction their own body is like the immune system is attacking these proteins and then it can end up attacking the body yeah 
but they don't have that much literature at all basically on this happening in dogs but um it can happen right so like a hypothesis is that potentially this was a reaction to those proteins in the antivenom and then that led to her like attacking her own kidneys Mm-hmm. which is like essentially she was breaking down tons of proteins all over her body like she was she lost so much of her yeah. muscle weight her muscles like she was very bony after that but you mm-hmm. know we plumped her back up um but yeah i mean it's there's not a lot of literature on it so they even said that they wanted to write some paper about her case because yeah and i think they did right like uh yeah, so there's so little literature on it that Sage had a paper written about her, about this experience, to try to document whether or not it was serum sickness. And they haven't really kept up to date with us as to like what the conclusion was. Um, but so maybe I just assume that it's kind of inconclusive. But anyway, so it's a very rare thing to happen basically an adverse reaction to the anti-venom is the main hypothesis um but as irene was saying it could be like in humans it happens like typically as adverse reactions to vaccines or something like that yeah it can happen yeah so sage had like a lepto vaccine a few days before that so it could have been some vaccine reaction yeah i mean and i have all i mean i think lepto vaccines can have there have been some dogs reported to have reactions like that, though. So it's kind of like we, it's inconclusive because those two things, I think, both could have been a cause. Yeah. But, um. So. Anyways, pretty crazy thing. is, I guess it's just like a one in a million, like, freak accident or whatever, you know, freak chance thing. But. Yeah, it was, it was just so much that I just felt like I turned, I clicked into this, like, I don't know they call mom mode or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) i know it's funny to say that for your dog but um but yeah i love her so much i was like oh we have to save her like we will just Mm -hmm. we just have to find the best solutions possible like we considered everything we're quick to act yeah i think like you said i think we did a really good job together as a team to to save her so at least i gain confidence in that when i need to Mm -hmm. you know get something done really important that it's like it's literally life or death yeah. I can click into that state yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah she's a lucky dog too to have us I guess hopefully that never happens again <laughs> yeah yeah we're much more <laughs> cognizant about letting her off leash or whatever yeah. you know so um, and learning more about the the snakes and their behaviors and stuff to make sure that yeah like you know we shouldn't be letting her off after rains and stuff yeah but, things like that but. yeah in general we've been much more cautious um but so anyways um so then you know i guess one question is like basically we got back with sage and then a few days later i had to take the qualification exam (laughs) so it's like how did that go like because i was just like okay you know whatever you know i know what i know whatever i get you know that's just gonna have to be good enough so I went in there with very low expectations. Um, so I just like, okay, I haven't really gotten to prepare for this test that, you know, I'm super anxious about and I'm kind of convinced that I'm going to fail. But I go in and I try my best anyways. And they recently changed the exam. So they broke it up into four like mini tests, I guess you could say. And uh, 
you know, if you pass one, then on the next go around, you don't have to repeat that. Um, and then you have to pass all four independently was the new thing. Um, so when I took those four tests, I ended up passing half of them. I forget what they were. Thermo. Uh, oh, yeah. And e Okay, yeah. I passed StatMech, and I got the highest score on that one. That mm-hmm. was nice to hear. And then e was a total surprise because I had historically done pretty poorly in that class. But it was the first test I passed. So explain that one. Uh, who the hell knows? Um, and then, so I did have to take the other two tests again in the winter. Um, and so I had to take this stupid class to prepare for those tests in the fall. Um, but then I'm happy to report that, you know, in the winter, um, I had to take those tests on my birthday, which was the worst. Um, yeah. What a birthday present. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to take those tests on my birthday, the last two, and I ended up passing both of them. Congratulations. Thank you. So I passed the qualification exam and I had one attempt to spare. So yeah, that was really good. You know, I was very happy about that. Um, and I think that experience with Sage actually was pretty pivotal in that, in the sense that if I didn't have that experience, it might've actually been more counterproductive to study. It might've made me more anxious and nervous rather than help helpful, you know? Yeah. Cause it turned out I could do okay enough even without You're it. You're more or less prepared, right? Yeah. Like somewhere, like you were saying about like you presenting, Somewhere that knowledge is in there. Like, I'm not sure exactly how I access it or whatever, but it worked out. So, yeah. That's great. And I think it marks a pretty big shift in terms of my confidence because I felt like I was plagued with, like, imposter syndrome and, like, what am I doing here, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as I passed the exam, it's kind of like, okay, now I can do it. You know, I, I guess it was really just that one test that I was like convinced that I'm not going to pass this thing, you know, but once that obstacle was out of the way, I'm like, okay, you know, everything else is just like whether or not I can mentally tolerate it or like emotionally tolerate it. But like in terms of my capabilities, I think I could do the rest easy, you know, so yeah, it's been pretty good um, since then. That's awesome. So, like, yeah. you think that that was just a big... Yeah, the qualification exam is just such shit, you know? It's a, such a terrible system. Because it's, like, it's so destabilizing, and it really it seems just, like, inherently toxic of, like, trying to make grad students feel small of, like you have to prove yourself to be here and stuff like that. Yeah. And if you don't, you're gone. You know, it's just, yeah, it just seems like a shitty system. It seems like it's designed to make you feel that way. It's designed to make you feel like I'm not good enough. So yeah, it's good to have that out of the way. Yeah. I would agree with you on that. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't even know how necessary it is at all, but 
Yeah. That's, that can be a whole discussion. Yeah, I would argue that it's not. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But so after, you know, I passed the claws, then it was into the winter break. Mm-hmm. And so we had this plan to go on this like hiking trip with some of our friends um, for like a week. And I guess that was going to be like my delayed birthday celebration. Yeah. Or whatever. But then some family medical emergencies came up. That's relevant to Irene. So I don't know how much you want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I guess this would probably be like the lowest point of the year. Mm-hmm. So since you're going on this trip and the day before the trip my father had this procedure which you guys might have heard him he's been in our podcast in the past on the father's day special Hmm. um and he had a procedure done that they found some polyps in um his his bladder Hmm. and he had had bladder cancer in the past and they were just like little polyps they had removed them like a few months before like some routine procedure and then they were just gonna give him like as a uh precaution they're gonna give him this procedure where they like flush the bladder with bcg bacteria which is essentially like a really slow growing bacteria that they derive from a tuberculosis vaccine i know when i say it it sounds kind of like crazy but apparently it's this more like kind of common procedure now it's like an immunotherapy so essentially your immune system will then essentially i think it takes off the lining of the bladder i've taken the pull-ups and then it will remove any of any remnants of these cancerous cells so something that they seem pretty confident about this procedure and so he he got it done and then um that was like probably the day before we were going to go on our trip and i called him and after the procedure and he said oh yeah i'm doing great like he was doing all this work in the house and then um, he said he was feeling a little bit sick, like some fever, um, but that the doctors had said that might happen with for the next 24 hours after the procedure because the immune system is firing up, and that's completely normal. Um, but so he seemed okay or whatever, and then I'm like, okay. And then my mom said, oh yeah, if he still has a fever tomorrow, we'll we'll take him to the doctor. Well, then the next day I get a call from my sister saying that they're in the hospital, that my dad um, overnight, I guess he got really bad and he was unresponsive and my mom tried to wake him up and he wouldn't wake up. So she called the ambulance and it sounded pretty traumatic for my mom because I think he had vomited in his sleep too. Um, And so the ambulance came and then essentially uh, I rushed and you came with me and we Mm -hmm. both rushed to, to... to see them to the hospital and my dad was unresponsive still um and he went as apparently he went into septic shock and i was like trying to figure out okay what could have happened and i'm doing all this crazy just reading scientific article after scientific article article related to the procedure and stuff but essentially what i think happened and what doctors think happened um is that maybe when he was getting the procedure procedure done, they could have introduced some bacteria in through the through um into the bladder, I guess, other than the the BCG. But then since his immune system was already like 
weakened from having to fight that then i think like essentially this other bacteria which ended up being e coli yeah um got into his bloodstream and then he had sepsis and it was like a really fast just one day right one Mm -hmm. to two days and it was like it was incredibly like it just overtook his body and he went into septic shock well then we were there in the hospital for like a week hoping you know we were there all the time asking tons of questions trying to make sure they know that we're engaged with what's going on and like uh i mean the doctors seems like they were trying the mo- everything that they could do and so they kept me updated on his like kidney levels and everything and like they were getting they were pretty bad at some point not nearly as bad as sages were mm-hmm. um and then they were getting better and they were doctors looked hopeful like oh he's gonna like in the middle of the week that he was getting better yeah was that because like they did the culture and they found the e coli and then they did the antibiotic and And they gave him the correct antibiotic for the e coli because it was a resistant strain of e coli so they had to give like a little harder antibiotic but it was working Mm -hmm. um and then he was doing better and then uh then all of a sudden his lungs couldn't take in oxygen and essentially he just got secondary pneumonia from the hospital which is like something that is happens right in yeah. the hospital because he had to have the ventilator there yeah and so it's a little bit frustrating for me still i'm a little bit upset about everything and but mm. i mean it's the medical field is not perfect but it just seems so like inexact sometimes mm-hmm. um so yeah so then he got a secondary infection and at that point i pretty much thought that there wasn't a way that he could make it like he was already struggling and he already he has conge- he had congestive heart failure so his heart only worked at like 30%. So um, he's already working with a really weakened heart. And then he has a sepsis infection. He might have been fighting it, but what, the pneumonia? And having all the antibiotics, it's like the pneumonia, it's like the antibiotics weren't helping with the pneumonia anymore. So hmm. he got the secondary pneumonia. And then unfortunately, he didn't make it. So yeah. then that was... Uh, that's happened in december the week before christmas my dad was so excited he had all these plans for the holidays um you know and and he didn't make it Mm -hmm. so then we spent christmas planning the funeral and it was like really hard and you know it's still like you know the grieving process is takes a long time right so it's like up and down you know, still I have moments even now where like I'm sad because I'm like, okay, he was the one that always supported me in science. And then like, I didn't even get my PhD mm-hmm. and I really wanted him to see me be able to like get the PhD. He would, he was so proud of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted him, you know, I wanted to be, pr- I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted to see him be like, oh, wow, she got the PhD. She's, you know, read my dissertation. Mm-hmm. You know, I let him read my prospectus and he thought it was so cool. And that would have been great if he could actually read my whole thesis at the end. And he was always interested in that stuff. And I and I told him that that's I told him I was going to teach him about gravity and the work that I was doing um, and unitarity. And then, like, I didn't have a chance to because it was so unexpected. Right. So and then, like, my mom is having a really hard time, obviously you know they've been together basically 40 years and um it's like she her whole life was with him so now she doesn't know how to live her life and and you know i'm trying to be there and supportive this whole basically 2023 so far is like trying to figure out like how 
for my mom how she can create a new life without him and I've been trying to support her emotionally like that because I feel like I'm the one that provides that for her you know? mm-hmm. so um, yeah I mean I think that that's probably been like it was traumatic even just seeing him in the hospital like yeah. essentially dying mm-hmm. and like seeing how his body's changing and not getting enough oxygen in his blood and just like you could see that and like how his eyes are glazed over because he's not really there he probably was dead before we even decided to to stop to take the machines off mm-hmm. right um i guess i'm just hope that i don't know i hope the experience for him wasn't so painful or anything you know mm. so sorry to no. unload such heaviness into the conversation but it's mm-hmm. obviously for me very relevant yeah yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I think the least, I think having to hear about the experience is like the least that anyone could do <laughs> as opposed to living the experience, right? It might be hard to hear about it. It's very sad. You know, I'm sad because, yeah, I really liked your dad. I thought he was an amazing man. And, you know, I'm sad to just by being adjacent to him that, you know, like you were saying, you didn't get to complete your PhD and have him see that. But for me too, you know, I would have liked to have shown him that as well. And, um, I felt like there's a lot I could have learned from him. And I felt like in general, um, we got along on a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, it's just really sad. Um, so, um, obviously that's going to be very relevant. I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised you've been doing as well as you have been. You've like, you've expressed at, even at the beginning of this podcast about feeling anxious or insecure about how fast your research has been going but you know it really hasn't been that long since that moment you know it's been like six months yeah um so the fact that it's moving at all is like kind of like very impressive and like the fact that there's pressure to begin with like kind of makes me angry yeah i mean i guess that's the thing where i felt I think that I struggled probably three months in. Like the first probably three months after, I feel like maybe I was running off the adrenaline of all this stuff and I was just like, go, go, go. And like I made some progress on my project and I had got some preliminary results and I presented this review, this annual review. And like I did, I think it went well. And, you know, I had something to show and I felt like I was pretty focused. But after that, it's kind of like more of this wave hit me and like I started to question a lot about like my place in in this environment, like uh, how I don't know if I align with the values, and I was just angry too and upset that like I don't feel like I was really given the space to kind of take time to mourn my dad's death and to like be 
also not just that but like also be there to support my family too and like have that time with them it's like yeah i had that time during the funeral and stuff but like that wasn't really enough and also there was a lot of other conflicts that came up during that time that i feel like i need more time to just process everything right Mm -hmm. um and to feel like i had all these deadlines all the time um and you know i had all the structure i had to follow and all of these requirements, you know, all of these things are like so much that I had to do because now I was on a RA, so I didn't have to teach, but I was only on the research. And because of that, there was like so much more uh, like imposed on me in terms of like expectations, reporting of my work and all of this stuff where it was like overwhelming. And I was like angry that that like there wasn't even like a space or a talk about, oh, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, do you need time to yeah. to work through all this? Like, do you need time for yourself just to take space? Because, yeah. like, you've been through a really traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I lost my father. Yeah. Like, he, he's been in my life, an integral part of my life for my whole life. Yeah. So it's kind of, like, upsetting that that wasn't even, like, given to me right that wasn't i feel like that's something that you should just give to people like you shouldn't be asked to do that but like yeah it's like there was no recognition of that like oh just keep going just like we don't want to talk about that stuff because it's like too much Mm -hmm. like um do you think that's what's going on for like let's say your advisor like because to me it seems like such an inhuman kind of way of responding like I would expect like even in some jobs, like in most jobs, like they would give you probably a few months or something off. I don't know what it's like because uh, <laughs> I live in my academic world, but it seems like, yeah, there was literally no space given. And it's just like, yeah, keep going, you know, and no recognition or acknowledgement or conversation around it. And like as your advisor who has like a direct relationship with you and is the one like kind of guiding these expectations. Like, how do you interpret what's going on for him? Like, how does he not like, do you think it's just he's too occupied in his own world or you think that the pressures of academia are too much and like, he would like to give you that space or. I think it's kind of all of those things. I mean, he, talked about it a little bit like with me and like I was feeling whatever like at the beginning when it first happened you know but uh yeah I mean there wasn't much talk about it at all really and there was just like an expectation that I'm gonna just go into and keep doing the work and I think it's because of those pressures of academia and the fact that I that this grant was received and there was like his contingent on specific type of progress and it's Mm. like this stuff has to get done or like you know i got this grant and then the things are gonna not work out and then you know what if we lose the money kind of thing so it's like out of that kind of fear maybe and also like him being in his own world like kind of overwhelmed with all of the stuff and that's part of the problem with academia too it's not just i don't think it's just at the graduate student level yeah. although it's really effed up what they do to graduate students yeah um but like at every level postdoc level and then even like professorship level it's like they all are just so overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that they have to do and um and like they feel that pressure too you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure that it's not 
it's like across the board i think it's just shitty honestly yeah like the culture so it's like that's also so you know yeah i think he could have handled it better and i think he i think he also doesn't know how to talk about it he's a little bit awkward like i you know if i start bringing stuff up and saying like oh i need this or that or that he's definitely open and willing to like kind of compromise with me on that stuff and like give me what i need in those instances um but like it doesn't it's not his initial to just give it like that like i have to kind of ask him to engage in this like emotional way and i think he's a little bit awkward with it Mm -hmm. um but he's definitely a lot better than a lot of other kind of like people i've interacted with in terms of like academia and stuff hmm. um in general but uh yeah there's definitely i think it says a lot about the culture yeah and the people who end up getting there are the people that have to like turn a little bit into that to be able to like keep going yeah i don't know if you agree with that but yeah i mean i've heard tangentially about other people's experiences around a very similar type of trauma of like their father passing away and basically the grad department not giving two shits about them you know yeah and so it does seem like kind of a pervasive thing it's just shocking to me. It's just like almost, it's like unbelievable. Like, I mean, it's shocking when you really think about it. I'm like, literally like this is one of the most, I mean, maybe some people don't have a relationship with their parents, but like, that's not the default you're going to think. They don't have no any relationship. That person means nothing to them. So why does it matter that they died? Yeah. Like, it's like, he's my father. Yeah. Like he means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like, how can that just be swept under the rug and like ignored and pretend it didn't happen? It's just like, yeah. It's like my life is going to be radically shifted from that. Yeah. And plus like all of the, the rest that comes with that too. It's just like, it's just not physically my dad is gone from my life. And there's all of these things now that like, I'm going to be upset about, you know, mm. like I can't share with him these things, these experiences I wanted to have with him. Then now I kind of f- wish that I had pushed more to get them before he had passed away. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, just his energy just like having that connection that I had with him, it's it's gone, right? Like I don't have him physically, so, you know, you can, I don't know, you can kind of make it in your head if you want, if you knew that person well enough, but it's not the same, right? Mm-hmm. But well, then on top of that, you have your, your other family members that you need to support, like my mother, for instance. Yeah. My mother's having a, a really hard time, understandably, mm-hmm. and like I know that um i can support her in ways that other i don't think anyone else in my family can Mm. so i want to be there for her so it's like now i I also have that that i have to leave space for so not only do i have to have space for myself Mm -hmm. in the mourning process i have to create space well i want to create space for my mother and my family in general to be there for them in a way that i know that i can provide for them that they don't get from other people yeah and i think that's honorable and speaks to your integrity and you should be able to provide that if you feel like you have it within yourself to do so and that should be encouraged but that's not acknowledged at all like in these at this level or maybe in the a lot of workplaces they don't do that either maybe it's just a pervasive cultural thing in general but like family means a lot to me 
that's one of my values and if it meant i have to leave the phd because they're not okay with me putting energy and time for my family yeah like i'm always going to choose my family i'm not going to ditch my family because of phd i'm not yeah and it's like that's why I think like, oh, should I s- still stay here? Like, you know, I want to stay here now, but there was a few months that I was really debating it recently because, you know, I felt like, okay, why aren't people giving me the space? Like, I deserve that space. Mm-hmm. Like, I need time. And it's like always like, oh, where's this thing? Like, are you going to get that thing done? And I'm like, that week I had a hard week mm-hmm. and I didn't do any work because I was trying to work through all this stuff emotionally and like support my mom and I didn't have space for the work. Mm-hmm. And that should be okay, but it's not okay. Yeah. So I was like, that's very frustrating. So I'm like, maybe I should just leave. Like, I can't handle this anymore. I need to take care of myself and my family before worrying about this. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up. So, yeah, I I guess I just want to pause to thank you for sharing that with me and with everyone um i'm sure that's not easy um i'm glad that you did uh it does make me feel sad (laughs) um but in i guess a bittersweet way somehow i guess i feel appreciative that you are talking about it and that i guess acknowledging the way in which the grad program doesn't provide that space. I'm hoping that maybe talking about it here is a small, tiny step towards giving you, you know, space to like talk about it, to process it and to just figure out how you feel about it. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, I appreciate obviously you listening and everyone out else out here listening Mm -hmm. um to my story and i'm sorry if anyone else listening had to go through these kind of experiences yeah um and without and some people don't have any support right like i have support from you and my family too and yeah you know and to an extent my advisor can be supportive if i really initiate the process yeah if you advocate for yourself yeah exactly some people don't even have that so Mm -hmm. that's why this culture needs to change yeah but i'm starting to think it's not just physics i'm starting to think it's like really pervasive in general Mm. like even in the workplaces you know stories from my sister too the way that they were just like yeah something like this happens and they're just like yeah whatever just keep working Mm. you know you still have this deadline tomorrow at 12 p.m. I'm like, what? <laughs> I just went to my dad's funeral. Yeah. You're like, yeah, but it's tomorrow. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Even when you're in school, some some professors, when you're taking classes, they don't yeah. even give you that yeah, that's true. time either. But. Okay. Um, so I want to take a second to see if you want to pause and come back or if you just want to. Keep going and finish it through. Can you pause for a second? All right. We're going to take a quick break. Maybe we'll be back in just one second. All right. All right. We're back, people. Um, so 
we went for a quick break to take Sage for a walk and prep some dinner stuff. So we're on a little bit of a timeline, but yeah, so we took a quick second to take some space and, you know, refresh and recharge. And now we're going to come back and finish, try to finish out the update. Okay. So we finished off Christmas of 2022 so now we're into the new year of 2023 there's sage and uh what we were up to in the spring so you want me to go first or you want to share anything yeah i mean i guess after you know my dad passing and everything happening and you know trying to kind of reevaluate my feelings about being in the program um part of that was realizing too that um there was like a part of me that i felt like i wasn't really expressing that much and i feel like that was i mean it's depressing when there's like a whole aspect of yourself that you're not be able to engage with so for me i felt a little bit stuck i started to feel a little bit stuck at some point like in research and i know a lot of times when i'm feeling stuck in research it's like an emotional thing that's holding me back and i realized that this aspect of myself like my more like artistic creative side in particular i like to play music um was kind of like i wasn't engaging with it at all so you know when my like one of the last things that my dad got i guess or he wanted to gift me was um this keyboard that i really wanted which is kind of like has weighted keys and it feels like a real piano um, and when I was younger, I used to play classical piano and, you know, I, it's been, had been a while since I really like played and he wanted to give that to me and unfortunately passed away before like he could actually see it, me play it, but it did come eventually like months later cause it was back ordered. Um, and then just sitting down and playing again, it kind of sparked this joy in me that I really was craving to engage in and so i think that this semester after everything that happened a big part of it was like rediscovering the other aspects of myself that had been neglecting um because of the trying to get this phd and it's like only work 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 right um and i was not even being productive in work because i was like neglecting all of this other part of me that like wants to be there wants to come out and wants to engage so like playing music again was just like wow this is like what my soul needed and like now i feel like i have the space to be able to like even start creating more things which i always really love to do you know like express myself through music um and then another thing that both of us did like starting at the beginning was uh rock climbing so i guess you can we can talk more about that in a second and like you know, a couple more with the music for me, the creative side, and then now this new sport, rock climbing, um, which has like been a really great physical outlet. Um, I feel like it's helping a lot in terms of kind of readjusting and finding what are my priorities and then making sure I'm putting space in for my physical body and feeling strong because like I actually felt so strong and also like seeing the progress in the rock climbing that I'm making. Um, and the physical like my, how my physical body is changing and how I just feel stronger and like all these like problems that I've had before with my back and like other issues that I've had um have been getting a lot better just by like 
you know, making all my, my, my muscles stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like things that, you know, this new semester, spring 2023 has been for me, um, you know, after my dad passing, trying to reevaluate everything in my life and seeing, you know, and trying to do right for me also, I don't know, also in a way align myself with what also my dad would value too, you know, like what he would want to see for me is essentially to be happy, not just live my life trying to like succeed in this very narrow way. But I think even more so the kind of success that he wanted to see for me is just that I find my place and I find my happiness and I find what brings me joy and I have a well-rounded life and Mm -hmm. that I can live like a calm life, right? Too, Mm -hmm. not just always stressed out. Like everyone's running on the go, 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 you know? So that's like part of my personal journey is like finding those things this semester and like trying to engage more in them and just feeling really proud of myself for doing that and feeling really proud for whenever I make progress on anything, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't only have to be the PhD, it can just be things in my life, you know, even the rock climbing or even writing music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess uh, I'm going to obviously give you a chance too, like, um, I mean, I guess what have you been up to in the semester too? And like, what, what do you think about like all the new things you've been? Um, yeah, it's just my stuff kind of bleeds into the summer, like to now, mm-hmm. but, um, so for my spring, since I passed the quals on my birthday, which was just before the end of before winter break or whatever. So I just passed the quals. So basically I was like out of phase with you by like, you know, a year. Yeah. Um, so that meant that I needed to pass the oral exam now, which they call the prospectus. And so I was really committed to trying to finish that um, in the semester which seemed ambitious, but, you know, after taking a break from physics and deciding to come back, I was like, okay, I'll come back, but I want to get out of here as soon as possible, basically is what I decided. So I tried working really hard on the prospectus, basically all the spring. Um, and now I, you know, passed the quals. So that was like one of the last main hurdles that I had left. Um, and so, it's kind of a little bit frustrating, a little bit hard to deal with because my advisor just seemed like generally unavailable. Like I would meet with him for an hour a week and I'd have all these questions and all these things and I would be working like really hard and I make so much progress on the prospectus and I felt like what he was contributing, like it, it was really slowing potential progress down. So that was kind of hard to deal with and it led to some conflicts. Um, yeah, throughout the semester and then there's some crazy stuff that happened towards the end of the spring. Um, but maybe I'll pause to talk about that later. Um, but when it comes to the rock climbing, yeah, we started, you know, I forget, like February or something. Um, and I've I'd been rock climbing a lot in undergrad you know, maybe for like a year or two. Um, I did a couple of challenges at my school, um, but I hadn't done it in years. 
and I'd always wanted to go. There's a place in, in, around town that was supposed to be pretty good, and so we just went, and then it seemed like you fell in love with it right away. <laughs> yeah, I fell in love, like, instantly the first time we went. I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for for exercise, like, because it's, like, the mind and the body. You ha- It's mental, too. Like, you mm. have to think about the problem-solving aspect of it. And then it uses your whole body. It's like a full body workout. And it's also cardio because like the endurance of going up the wall back and forth. And mm-hmm. if you keep doing that while like your my heart rate was pumping. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like an amazing workout. And it just feels so good when you can like ascend the whole, yeah. you know, the route. Yeah. And I can really relate to that. Yeah. I really enjoy rock climbing. Um, so it's, um, I'm glad to be. So now we got a membership at the gym. And so we go you know a couple times a week or at least we try to and um yeah it's a lot of fun so since then i progressed a lot you know i'm climbing things uh you know slightly harder grade than i was you know back in undergrad so even in the past couple months just the way we've been going about it i guess i've made a lot of progress yeah, I mean, I've noticed that from the beginning and when we first started to now, it's like you've regressed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm doing, uh, I could do most 510As and I'm on 10Bs. And I guess I should start looking for projects around 511 level. And uh, I could do, in our bouldering, they break it up into like 0 to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6. I could do most two to fours. Yeah. So now I'm trying to level up to V fours to V sixes. So that's, that's a pretty good amount of progress for a few months, you know? Um, but yeah, I can report a lot of the same things. I, I really love it. And, um, yeah, I feel a lot stronger. Yeah. So. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone. I know it's not for everyone. Right. But, mm. uh, I mean, it's exhausting, and like the next day, like you feel very sore, right? Um, especially when you first start out. So a lot of people may be not interested in that, but uh, it's it's for me, you know. For a lot of people, you might find a lot of relief just because hmm. you know you don't have to think about anything other than just trying to find a way to get to the top of the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like takes problem solving skills too. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how people approach the problem in different ways depending on your strengths and weaknesses like you know my height is i i'm sure i'm like five one at best Mm. right so it's like i have to find some routes i have to find a little more creative way um if the holes are too far from each other Mm -hmm. um and then i'm sure you know in some ways being sure can be convenient in some cases and then other people have to find yeah another way so uh, when I first started up, I like ended up hurting my knee, mm-hmm. and I really couldn't even walk on it. It, it kept like kind of feeling like it was popping out of mm-hmm. the socket. It was like unstable. So and that was like a good like probably a month and a half to two months or something that I really couldn't climb that well. Like one month, basically, I didn't really climb, and then the next month I was going slow. But since then, I feel like I've progressed a lot, and it taught me a lot about my own body. Mm. And like how I should be moving it, and like about how important warm ups are, right? I didn't really think about that, but like, yeah, it's really important to like mm-hmm. warm your muscles up before you start using them. 
Um, and I think that helps a lot now that we've incorporated that. And um, along with my physical therapy journey, since I had back problems for a while in the past, physical therapy has helped a lot with that. And then now like with the knee, it helped a lot, taught me a lot about all my body parts and how they work in particular. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just been such a wholesome experience. <laughs> like I just, I love to know more about my body and how it works. I think everyone should have access to this. Like even like physical therapy, for example, everyone should have access to a physical therapist just to learn how their body mechanic works and know how they're using it correctly and what muscles they need to strengthen. Even if it's once a year, they have some few week tune up. I think everyone should be entitled to have that. Yeah. I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I mean, this is like, I've loved to have this journey and then doing it with you. It's been super exciting. You cool. know? <laughs> You've taught me a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I've learned a lot with you. Um, but so you, you want to talk about your award for, Oh, um, well, I guess another, another light, nice thing about the semester was that like at the end, you know, there's a ceremony every year um, in the physics department and they give out like awards to some of the student, the graduate students and and faculty and undergrads. And then I unexpectedly ended up getting a scholarship award and mm. it came with, you know, a thousand dollars, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I can't say that I feel like I 100% deserve it for some reason. I just, you know, whenever I get any of these type of things, which I don't often, but um, I don't know. I just like kind of feel like I don't really deserve it, but I mean, I can accept it and be grateful for it for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it felt good in a way to be seen, I guess, yeah. and acknowledged in in some way so i know that like my i i also have like i want to thank my advisor for that too because he um he puts a lot of time with us and stuff and works with us and i know he spends a lot of time like writing these recommendations because he's the one that recommended me for the award and um he's recommended me for a lot of other stuff that i actually ended up getting and i got feedback specifically that these that his um, recommendation letter was really great and hmm. i know that that means that he's putting a lot of time and he cares about me and that's how he shows like his mm -hmm. care for us right is is in that way so like i really appreciate that about him um <laughs> so uh yeah i mean i was happy about it and the thousand dollars is yeah. It's nice mm -hmm. to have some money in the bank. Yeah, on our salary. <laughs> on our salary. That just gets used up the next month for the necessities. But, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's nice that you have that and, you know, we go out but yeah, somewhere nice a little bit. And but, yeah, that's really great. I'm glad that you at least got some recognition. I think you, I think you deserve it. So. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really nice. Um, so what about you? Like, how have you been feeling? I know you talked about preparing for the prospectus and it seems like, like maybe your advisor hasn't been as supportive as you needed in the, during the semester, during the spring semester. Yeah. I mean, that was just like a vague impression I had in general. I was like slightly dissatisfied, but you know, it was workable, but there was just, uh, I guess you could say an incident with my advisor that kind of 
was really explosive and uh, made me feel pretty unsafe. Um, I would characterize it as emotionally abusive. Um, and I'm wondering how much detail to go into that. I don't know if we're going to do another podcast about it in the future. Um, and I don't know how safe I feel talking about it here even. Um, but the skinny of it is that basically, you know, I'm trying to work on this prospectus and, you know, I might've been kind of like pushy in terms of like getting his feedback and maybe being a little bit more disagreeable than usual. Um, in the sense that like, you know, I was trying to take ownership of this document. He expressed that, you know, it was my document and that, uh, I have the final say on everything at the end of the day. And he was making all these recommendations for my prospectus that I didn't really understand and I needed clarity around and he wasn't being very transparent about like why he was making these requests. And so, you know, him being a, um, he's very entrenched in the NBC community and he's how I got exposed to it. You know, I tried engaging in the NBC process because I went through that class last year and I'm like, okay, he's not really hearing me. Let me try communicating in this way because, you know, he's supposed to be an expert and he should understand, you know, where I'm coming from. So I basically, you know, stated like, okay, you know, I'm observing this and it made me feel this way when you said this and, you know, can we compromise? Can we work together? Can, you know, can we come up with a different strategy of like what to do around this perspective thing? Um, is like a paraphrase. This is me paraphrasing like my messages to him about a specific conflict. And, um, basically, um, you know, I met with him in his office and he was furious, I guess you could say. He was very, very angry. And um, so, yeah, at some points he was like yelling at me. Um, and I got clarity as to like why he wanted certain things around the prospectus because um, of some vague things that he said. Uh, again, we might go into further detail on a future yeah. podcast or something. I don't know whether that's worth it or not, but. Basically, I inferred that like he thought I was totally incompetent and that he thought I didn't understand any of the research that I was doing and that I, he wanted to f more or less force me to redo all of my work to, I guess, prove, to yeah, prove that I understand what's going on, um, something like that. And you know, in my opinion, he, uh, was unjustly taking credit for some of my work. Um, yeah, at some point he was shouting about like, um, he said something like, oh, can we at least agree that, you know, I've done all the work or something. Um, so one, I think that is just objectively untrue, but also it's kind of disparaging to 
not only me, but you know, there's other professors that we work with on this project. And for him to claim that he's done everything is just like, wow. Um, so has dismissing your contribution and all the other collaborators, right? Right. And so it made me feel very unsafe working with him in the future because yeah, he was yelling, he was calling me incompetent, you know, more or less calling me stupid um, taking credit for my work, uh, and just, you know, yeah, it was just like out of nowhere. It felt like to me, he just exploded in like a rage at me because I was just making some requests around my prospectus or whatever and trying to get clarity around why I needed to include certain things that he thought were necessary. Yeah. And so that sent me down a rabbit hole of uh, a therapy journey, learning about him. And I think there's some pathology there. Um, I won't say it because I think it could be too triggering or too inflammatory to talk about it in this podcast. Um, but I learned about <laughs> some certain disorders that... Uh, were very illuminating to me and it made me feel kind of not that hopeful about continuing to work with him it made me feel like kind of unsafe like it made me think that the prognosis for our relationship isn't that great you know that there's not much hope that it's going to get better and there's a lot of ways in which it can get worse you know so, you know, where I was a year prior to that point of like taking a break or whatever and just coming back now, I was like in that same space, but for an entirely different reason. Yeah. Right. I was seriously, and I still am kind of a little bit, um, debating leaving the program because I'm like, okay, you know, this, this guy is just like being terrible to me he's just being like the absolute worst and now i'm actually aware of like how he's been judging me this whole time and he's been storing all these like judgments about like how i'm like shitty about like how i'm a shitty student and a shitty researcher and like whatever you know um things he's never expressed in the past mm-hmm. and so i'm like how can i continue to work with this guy you know, I can't trust that he won't have another episode in the future. I can't trust that he's going to have my back and that he won't sabotage me, that he won't take, continue to take credit for my work. There's a lot of what ifs, you know, of just like, how can it possibly, how can I possibly navigate this relationship and get the PhD with this guy? Um, and so I was just like, I don't know if it's worth my mental health to continue basically it was no longer about whether I'm competent because like despite all the things he said you know I guess I've processed my imposter syndrome I felt like um totally competent and totally capable of doing the PhD and if I wasn't in that space all those things he said would have really like just even destroyed me even further 
Like if you were in the space that you were last year or something, were you sure, debating yeah. the first time? Yeah, if I felt like I was totally incompetent and like didn't deserve to be there and whatever. For him to say all those things, I think he was trying to more or less say the most hurtful thing that he could because he's gathered all this data about me, about like what my vulnerabilities are. And I've been pretty open and vulnerable with him just in general because he's requested that. Yeah. And so he knew all my weak points, but I guess I'd outgrown a lot of them. So I could kind of see it, I guess, a little bit for more of what it was of like him just trying to be. Well, to make you feel bad because maybe because you made him feel bad, right? Yeah. He was upset about what you said or something. Maybe something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, But. But yeah, so it's just. um, Yeah, I lost my train of thought, but basically he's just being really difficult to work with and you know the alternatives are like going to find another advisor going to a different school these are things that like didn't seem that appealing to me because it would set me back years probably in my phd and like i said i'm trying to get out of here as soon as possible so it's like, I don't know if I'm willing to sacrifice another couple of year, extra years to get the PhD at this point. Um, so anyways, yeah, I was hardcore in that space of like, maybe I should leave. And it was actually more so than last year when it was just like, should I stay? Should I go? You know, I don't feel very happy here. Um I have more of a foot out the door now than I did then, you know, like I've started to look into, I started to actually actively look into opportunities outside of grad school, you know, like, like looking at jobs, exploring, trying to set up tutoring, like a tutoring side, side gig, side business, whatever. Um, shit like that. Just being open to possibility you know i decided to stay in the summer uh which is this semester because um you know i signed a contract for teaching and you know they pay our tuition waiver and our you know our wage and stuff like that and like if i break that contract not only do i not get paid i also owe like a few thousand dollars and i'm like i'm not even if I leave the school, I can do my teaching job, you know, at the minimum. So I might as well just stick around and see what happens, like not make any rash decisions. And so me sticking around, I don't know. Should I start start talking about summer or should I pause? I mean, I'm just wondering, like, well, I mean, just the experience that, you know, you had with your advisor is just so, I don't even know, it's just. I mean, it's a terrible experience to have, and I just, it's frustrating, too, that this is allowed, like, this Mm. happens, right? And it's like, your advisor has so much power over what happens, and there's, like, no way that he can have accountability for that. Yeah. Or very small, little avenues, at least where we are, there really aren't any. Yeah, basically, learning about this whole process and exploring my options... 
I'm not very hopeful that like going to HR or like trying to talk to someone about my experience in that meeting about the things he said and you know, so on would result in any consequence for him really. And yeah, he holds all the cards. He has all the power in this situation. We're in a very intimate relationship where I need to work closely with him for, you know, probably about two years or something before I finish my PhD. Um, so it's kind of, it's an enmeshed, entangled relationship. It's very hard to like get distance from this type yeah. of work relationship. And once you've been there for so many years with him, right? Yeah. And like, you're really, you're committed to that project. Like, you know, the material so well, it's like you're, yeah. you found their focus. And then there's just even just trying to think, you know, switch to another advisor. That's not even feasible. Because some people might just be like, switch to another advisor. Yeah. That don't that don't like understand this like the yeah. system how how it works. It's like you can't like at some point you just can't switch. It's like you dedicated so much your trajectories in this direction. There's no yeah. one else that's doing exactly what you're doing. You can't find you can't just switch like that. You know. Yeah. Well, if I did, I'd have to start over. Yeah. Basically. And it's like, is it worth to start over? All the pain yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I guess to talk more on that, since you're, you're inviting it, is uh, the thing I was grieving was, uh, one, the loss of a healthy, the, the illusion of having a healthy advisor, right? Um, healthy advisor, advisee relationship. But also, um, he's also enmeshed in all of the other spaces that I've found safety in, right? Like our diversity program, um, he's like the only advisor that's basically running it and, and he's abandoned that diversity program, um, because of similar things about how it makes him feel. Uh, and the NVC community, you know, not feeling safe to return there. I mean, I wasn't that entrenched in there, but it's just sad that like this cool space that I found in this area is already gone. <laughs> um, and, you know, so it's just like, and the fact that I felt supported in the past by him, I realized, like, I did a autopsy of our relationship. And I just realized all the ways in which that was, like, not really as deep as I would have, as I imagined it to be, you know, like, like really when I thought about it, it's just like all the ways in which I felt supported by him. I realized it was just like, it's just been me this whole time. <laughs> like, it's like, it's kind of like in spite of him that it's, that I've gotten this far. So, um, so yeah, it's just a shitty situation to be in. Uh, it sucks, but, uh, you know, I feel confident that if I want to, I can persevere, th like persevere through it and get the PhD and I t feel totally competent and capable of doing the research and, you know, making progress and blah, 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 whatever. The thing I'm evaluating at this moment is like, okay, now that I'm there and I truly believe it, like, what do I want to do? Am I willing to accept the cost that comes with that, you know, like, 
all the things that I was debating about taking a break, why I took a break a year ago about the external environment is still true. You know, the culture is still shit, you know, and um, all of the externalities is still valid. But now there's this whole other dynamic about like this specific relationship dynamic is like very toxic and uh, potentially, you know, dangerous or whatever. Yeah. um, so yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, when it first happened, when I was processing that, I was very, I was broken, kind of a broken person. Um, and it was, uh, kind of sad cause you know, I was making a lot of progress on the prospectus and, you know, it was still looking like pretty good in terms of presenting soon, but it, it's only me down there for a month or two. Um, but now I'm, you know, back on trying to get the prospectus done and presenting it, you know, soonish. So it's just like, I mean, I don't know. I'm speechless, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, okay. It's like, uh, it's just sad that there's so many barriers, mm-hmm. right, in getting in. It's not just those logistical barriers, like passing the quals, passing the perspectives, but there's like all of these like emotional mm-hmm. barriers too, that have to do with the relationships with the people that you're making in these programs, right? And like mm-hmm. your advisor, yeah. Like it's like so many different things that can really make it or break it, and it's like can be really volatile, yeah. you know. Like, just the environment that you're in mm-hmm. itself, right? That last year, you were debating, I don't know if I can take this culture anymore. I debate the same thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'll leave. I might leave because of that. That That's one of the barriers that a lot of people do leave because of that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, okay, you let's say you finally feel comfortable. Okay, I can find a way around the culture. I, now I feel confident in myself, too. And there's imposter syndrome, right? That some people just think, I'm not good enough. I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. But let's say you pass that barrier, emotional barrier, and now you feel confident. Mm-hmm. And then they throw in, okay, all of a sudden your advisor just gives 180 and everything you ever thought was real about your relationship with him turns out that it really wasn't so real and so deep and so, like, mm-hmm. trusting, you know, the way that you... Like just opened up, right? Yeah. Him, and you felt safe, but now all of that stuff was just an illusion. Yeah. And it's like that—that that barrier at the end—that is like, that's mm. like that's what's making me speak to some like the fact that you know you even put yourself, got yourself up and out of that after you said it broke you because it is mm. it is breaking. That's something that like, you know, it's just like you just more and more and more of these things barriers come up. And yep. then this one is like really breaking. Like this is, it mm-hmm. shakes you because you thought you had this relationship with someone for years. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it's not even that anymore. It was just an illusion this whole time. Mm-hmm. It's like it really messes with your head. Yeah. And that you could pick yourself up from that mm-hmm. and then put the pieces back and then like really just analyze a picture and see what was going on. Yeah. And then make a decision about that like okay how do i want to proceed like so like rationally too at the same time it's like impressive but also it's like i don't know 
it's like why it's like how can you do that you know i mean mm-hmm. it's like the thing that you have to learn to do to succeed in physics is to remove your emotions from the situation and just be like okay i have to just analyze this logically mm-hmm. and then sometimes i worry that that's the thing that causes keeps perpetuating this culture that people are removing themselves from their emotions so much that they forget that that's an important part of being human and then we need that and we need to learn how to engage with people at that level and allow it and be open about it yeah well i don't know if you're speaking about me in general because i I don't feel like i've removed myself from no not you in general i Mm. know i don't think that you do that Mm. right but like i'm just saying i could see how someone going through an experience like that and continuously going through these experiences can eventually just say i need to detach myself from my emotions and just be all logic and rational or whatever to go through academia in physics and that's what they become and then they don't engage with the emotion and then they perpetuate the culture yeah i don't think you would be one of those people you would be one of the people that are making the change that like Mm -hmm. are creating that open space yeah yeah in general in some ways i could see how it would be easier to disassociate from the situation right to pretend it doesn't exist or to somehow distance yourself from it um you know i could see it now being kind of appealing you know um just because having to sit here and to recognize that this is what i'm going through and to sit with that instability of like do i want to be here is this what i want you know like it kind of upends like all these plans and all this stuff and all the you know a lot of the stuff i've committed to this point um, it's hard. It's really hard to sit with those emotions and to process them and, and to like try to engage the situation with like integrity and, you know, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> no, it makes me feel sad. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't wish, I don't wish that you would be in this situation. No, I wish you didn't have to be in this. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> Yeah, so it's pretty lame. Um, So I'm kind of just like very slightly on the other end of that, you know. Um, So basically I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess you could say, of like going back to the old plan of doing the prospectus, getting out of here as soon as possible, just really try to limit my exposure to this and like, proceed with caution you know um now be now i know some of the things that sets sets my advisor off you know um to be you know careful about how i communicate in the future um so that's kind of where i'm at at the moment but you know i could easily imagine that changing and you know whatever at least i've started doing some of the work to like prepare for the view for what's after yeah yeah psychological and logical you know just being open to the universe you know um presenting me with opportunities and you know not shutting them out so yeah that's good yeah um i mean i'm sure this is stuff that you know we might go into more detail yeah in a future podcast but 
Mm-hmm. And I think it deserves some more space, definitely. Because I know there's mm. probably people out there too that are dealing with situations similar, yeah. at least, and that. Yeah, know. it's probably pretty. Com- it's probably more common than you would think. Than I would think, you know. Yeah, I mean, even from pots, some pots podcasts we've had that we've talked to some people, we've seen that kind of. Mm. We've seen some form of like abuse in this way that they've. Mm-hmm. Or you know reasons people leave and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's important to get the story out there. Is what I'm saying. So yeah, it might be something worth visit revisiting in the future in more detail. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of nuances to it too. Um, yeah, just one small thing that came to mind is like there is a little bit of even shame that comes that I feel internally about like, you know, falling for falling victim to, you know, this abuse or to not seeing the signs early enough or whatever, you know, of like, you know, this person asked me to be vulnerable and, you know, share these intimate moments or whatever and trust them and i chose to do that and they exploited it and so you know that then at the end of the day i'm looking like a fool you know um so you know logically i know that's on him you know it says more about him than it does me but there's still like a little thread of just like how did i let myself get into this situation you know but anyways, just like stuff like that. There's there's a lot of things I've realized about, you know, this relationship like that that Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to be as authentically yourself as you can be. Yeah. And like that's what you were doing and you were I think acting in with integrity the whole time with your relationship with him and mm-hmm. you were willing to be open and I think that's something that's so important in general. Like, it's really unfortunate when those are the people that tend to be getting hurt more or the people Mm. who are, like, willing to take that risk and be open. But, like, that does open the environment for more people to be open. Mm. And in that way could be healing. But it should never be on. It's, like, in the way that I think about it, it's, like, I want to do that. But then at the same time, I'm, like, why do I deserve to be the one that gets hurt? Because I am being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so I th- I think it's a noble thing in a way. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to to actually be able to be vulnerable, even yeah. knowing that there is a risk that you're gonna get hurt. Yeah, I mean I agree with that, but I also try to be pragmatic in <laughs> the sense that I think there's a fine line between noble and foolish. <laughs> like I said, you know, so you know like staying with an abuser like you marry an abuser and then you stay with them when they continuously abuse and abuse and abuse you no i'm not saying that that's foolish because uh, now i have a lot more sympathy for that yeah person um but i'm just saying sometimes before you en- entangle yourself into a relationship the writing is on the walls you know I can't think of a, like a 
obvious example at this moment, but I'm just saying sometimes, you know, it's, it might not be so noble and it might just be a little bit, you know, whatever, but. I don't know. I don't always think it's that easy to see that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's easier. You know, it's like, what did they say? What's that expression? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. <clears throat> but so anyways, um, do you want to talk about um, some of the stuff we've been up to recently or do you want to talk about your summer school or? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, recently we've been doing some traveling and I guess in the, the summer is a little bit of a summer of traveling. I haven't been traveling in a long time since COVID. Yeah. Um, so it was nice that uh, we got to go on a trip to Me- to Cancun. Yeah. And it was around Father's Day, so, you mm. know, it was a little bit, you know, my dad's Mexican. We went to a kind of a, a Playa de Carmen, mm. like a few years, maybe like 10, not a few years, like 10 years ago. We went mm-hmm. together as a family, and it was kind of an all-inclusive resort. Mm. So, you know, we went, when we went to Cancun, it was pretty close, it was a little bit north of that. We also went to an all-inclusive re- resort with your family. Mm-hmm. Um and it was nice it was nice to be there it was nice to relax and it was nice to engage with people and like be there emotionally for people like Mm. you know there's a part of me that in physics i don't really get that like hands-on kind of talking to people and like working through like Mm -hmm. you know emotional issues having that kind of connection i don't get as much in physics so it was nice to get that with yeah your family well, that's interesting because you you still engage with people, right? You still have people in your gr- research group and stuff like that. So it's just like you think there's something different about those people then? Yeah, I agree. You do have that. But um, I don't know. Sometimes it's not as vulnerable in terms mm. of like the way that I connect with some of my coworkers and stuff. Yeah. Is it like it's not like they're as open or about their experience and their emotional experience and as vulnerable as maybe I had the connection with your family and maybe Mm. it's just the individual people and that's Mm. why but regardless I did have that more and it was nice to do that Mm -hmm. now it's also exhausting for me like socializing a lot so um yeah so it was you know it takes a lot of energy so it was kind of like I don't know a bittersweet for me because I enjoy it but at the same time it's exhausting so yeah I have to kind of replenish my energies after that um i don't know what did you think yeah it was good it was a pleasant experience i'd never been to cancun before so seeing the activities that we did was was fun overall overall was a fun experience um yeah for me it was also exhausting though um in general there's been like a lot of family coming around and doing stuff and i haven't seen them in years so it's just like feels like everyone's trying to get their time in mm-hmm. all at the same time like since it's been building up for years yeah um and you know it's nice it's good i enjoy it but it's also exhausting <laughs> so um you know trying to balance that while you know doing my prospectus and dealing with my advisor and all that shit um, it's a lot but I'm hanging in there, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it was. 
Yeah, trying to do anything in general, but with uh, with all the work looming and stuff. And I mean, I feel like I haven't been as productive as I wanted to be in the summer. And then, you know, all these people visiting and then going, it's been nice. But also I feel kind of like a little bit bad hmm. about that. But then I'm like, you know, I deserve to, to, to be able to take a break from work and and see other people and connect and i feel like it's been kind of more important to me now to like try to connect more with people and family and stuff mm-hmm. you know I, after my dad passed away and stuff i realized you know i haven't really been seeing my mexican cousins that much mm-hmm. and i haven't really been like you know with other family members too even just in the u.s and i feel like they feel the same way because they've been visiting like crazy like they've been visiting my mother like mm-hmm. like crazy and um and I've been able to see them or talk to them through that. And then, you know, it makes me realize it's important to mm-hmm. me. And I don't, I wouldn't want to like miss more connection with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something that I'm going to probably want to do a little bit more in the future. Is just try to connect more with family in general. Mm-hmm. But I also need my space and time because I get overwhelmed with too much, uh, socialization yeah but yeah and then talking about that i have a summer school coming up so i'm going to um to brazil sao paulo in two weeks or or so for a summer school a school on modern amplitude methods for gauging gravity theories Mm. so it's like last year i went to a summer school that i talked about already it was like on QCD and electroweak theory. Um, but, it, you know, it was interesting and I learned some new things, but it wasn't exactly what my research is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this one on gravity and um, amplitude techniques is like basically exactly what my research is on. So I think I'm excited about it because I think it'll be interesting and I'll be able to learn more about the other aspects of like the gravity community mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily know much about um, and then see how it connects with mine because um, they're putting they're bringing up all the different types of gravity people together mm-hmm. and then they invited me to go to a workshop after that so that the summer school's two weeks starting July 24th until August 4th then there's like a week in between and then after that there's like a workshop in the same university in Sao Paulo and that workshop is for like different people from all different areas of the gravity community are going to come and like give talks about their work and then it's just going to be like maybe one or two talks a day and then a bunch of discussion and this kind of like to help i think it's it's hopefully a seed for new ideas or something mm-hmm. for like future research so i'm just going as a student observer i don't really have like i'm not that advanced yet in my research to like really be able to give a talk on it um but it's nice to have been invited to that and it's nice to be able to connect with the community and and see what's going on and see what those events are like because part of this for me is to see whether i do actually see like a space in this community for me that i feel safe Mm -hmm. and that i could see a future in. Mm -hmm. um i think my advisor really would want me to continue in academia but i'm not so convinced about that because as right now like the culture is something that i it's not sustainable for me to be able to live in a culture like that all the time so i have to kind of see if there is a space for 
mm-hmm. for who I am, my values, like how I want my life to be like, is there space for that? And if not, then I don't think I can do it. And that's sad. Mm-hmm. But if there is, then maybe I'll keep exploring it. We'll see. Yeah. So how long is the the workshops? And so how long will you be in Brazil? So, so the workshop is three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be in Brazil total about like six weeks. So maybe a little bit less than six weeks, but about six weeks. I'll be in Brazil, so I mean, yeah, I know I talked about last year too, the 10 days, I already was feeling overwhelmed, mm-hmm. so now for the six weeks, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm not going to lie, um, about how it's going to go, because mm-hmm. it's a completely new country, I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere either, so mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm going to, I'm hoping that what I learned from last year, I can take some of that and mm-hmm. maybe it'll be a better experience this time because I had Hopefully. a little bit of training. So now I can, yeah. you know, I've been mentally preparing myself for months now and I knew I got into this mm-hmm. summer school. And so hopefully it'll go better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the material is definitely more interesting to me because it's like really is what I'm interested in what I'm doing. So in that way, hopefully it will be less overwhelming but i don't know Mm -hmm. but also it is a more advanced topic so i feel like i might feel more overwhelmed because i'll have more imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know i just don't always really think of myself as the best student so i know it's a story i keep telling myself and i probably should stop that pattern in my mind i should probably start saying good positive things about me as a student but Mm. um it's hard to break that habit of years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm nervous about it. But, you know, I just I, I just want to go in there and be authentically myself. So it's like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't think I need to be this particular way to be a good researcher. I should just be who I am. And it's not, maybe it's atypical. But if I can't be accepted as that in the community, then mm. it's probably not the community for me. Yeah. You know yeah and what makes you authentically you should be your superpower wherever you are right exactly and yeah. it should be recognized as that's yeah. my superpower yeah as it should be for anyone yeah and whatever their superpower is mm-hmm. so if they can't recognize that then i guess that's just bye-bye yeah. physics i'll do something else maybe i'll become a musician and write music or something mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that'd be cool but yeah, and I'll be going to visit you for a week. Yeah. While you're there. So, the week that's off, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So that'll be my first time in the Southern Hemisphere as well. So it's going to be a big adjustment. And like I said, I'm preparing for my prospectus and stuff like that. So it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. But hopefully it's going to be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. So, anyways, uh, is there anything else you wanted to share? No, I mean, I'll definitely be catching you guys up when I come back from Brazil. And yeah. we'll do a, well, I'll let you know how well my training went and whether, yeah. no, it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. But, yeah. It could be good to be- debrief when you come back. Yeah. So we can debrief. And if I'm not too emotionally rattled, no, I'm just joking. Mm-hmm. I can debrief. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's Sage drinking water. Um, but so uh, I think that's what we got for you. I mean, that's 
that's i think our update everything we've been up to the past year uh recapping it yeah it's been crazy (laughs) yeah it's been crazy 2022 and 2023 have been you know there was a lot of dramatic shit that happened um just like over and over and over again (laughs) but there have been good moments too. Yeah, there have been good moments there been, too. There have been good the miracles. Things. Yeah. Seiji. Yeah. 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 So. But I mean, my hope is that we can continue to be making more content. Yeah. So it's not just a once a year. Yeah. We already have some content in the work. So mm-hmm. um, in addition to this, hopefully, you know, you'll be able to see some more stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I'm happy that in this, this last year that I've learned to engage more in like other parts of myself, like music again, Mm -hmm. writing music again, and then rock climbing. And my body is like so strong Mm -hmm. and I haven't had any flare ups on my back problem. And like, I feel like really strong and healthy. So, um, that's such an important thing. Yeah. This is a care of your physical body. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know hard moments but good things too that we learned yeah about ourselves and mm-hmm. so i hope we just continue to grow as the years go on yeah yeah but so if you've made it this far thank you so much for listening um i know it's been a bit of a longer update but there's been a lot to share and yeah we got lots of more content coming to you hopefully shortly so Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all on the next podcast. Yeah, we love you. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye, everyone.